Thank you for downloading this audio edition of a complete chapter from the volume entitled On Common Ground, International Perspectives on the Community Land Trust. I'm John Emmius Davis, one of the book's editors, along with my colleagues Lena Algood and Maria Hernandez-Torales. On Common Ground was published in June 2020 by Terra Nostra Press, a division of the Center for CLT Innovation. We hope that you enjoy the following program. From pressure group to government partner, the story of the Brussels Community Land Trust. A housing crisis has been raging in the Brussels capital region for decades. The failure of government to address this problem prompted neighborhood associations and housing rights activists in Brussels to join forces in 2008 and to look for solutions of their own. In their search, they stumbled upon an Anglo-Saxon model that had remained largely unnoticed in the European mainland, the Community Land Trust. It seemed to comprise everything they were looking for. In 2013, Community Land Trust Brussels was established and received support from the regional government. The first newly constructed CLT homes were inhabited in 2015, and new housing projects are now being built at various locations in Brussels. Meanwhile, CLTB has been playing an important role in disseminating the CLT model in Europe. In this chapter, we will provide an overview of the housing crisis in Brussels. We will then discuss the origins of the Brussels CLT. Starting the CLT was relatively quick and easy. But the road to putting your organization on a firm footing has not been without challenges. From the beginning, CLDB has had to cope with a number of legal, organizational and institutional barriers. We will discuss some of these struggles and the agreements put in place to resolve them, before concluding with a look at future prospects for CLT growth in Brussels. Welcome to Brussels, capital of Europe. The implementation of a CLT in the Brussels capital region can only be understood within the context of the region's chronic housing problems. For several decades, a substantial fraction of the housing stock has been unaffordable for a considerable share of the population. A severe mismatch between average household incomes and average housing prices is at the core of the problem. For half of the households living in Brussels, the share of their household budget going to pay for housing exceeds 40%. This problem, which academics and housing activists have come to term a housing crisis, is based on several dichotomies and inadequate policy responses. A socio-economic dichotomy? Since the restructuring of the labour market in the 1980s, the Brussels capital region has been marked by considerable economic growth. This growth has been driven by the service sector, which is dominated by European, federal and regional administrations, and has attracted international and multinational corporations. This economic growth is not entirely to the benefit of the population residing within Brussels, nor are the benefits of growth shared evenly among them. Here are a few indications. Half of the jobs in the Brussels capital region are held by inhabitants of Belgium's two other regions, Wallonia and Flanders, who commute into Brussels on a daily basis. Among all of the regions in Europe, the PCR is ranked fourth in gross domestic product, but it is ranked 145th when it comes to the disposable household income of PCR's population. The BCR also exhibits a pattern of high levels of poverty and large numbers of people on welfare. The percentage of BCR's population who are at risk of poverty is significantly higher than in Belgium's other regions. 39% of the Brussels population is at risk of poverty, compared to 27% in Wallonia and 14% in Flanders. At least 23% of the children in Brussels are growing up in households in which no income is earned through the job market. 
an external and internal migration dichotomy. Another dichotomy can be identified when looking at external and internal migration patterns, fueled by different streams of migration following World War II. Among all inhabitants of the Brussels capital region, 35% of them have a non-Belgian nationality, while 72% have non-Belgian origins. On the one side of the spectrum, every expansion of the EU brings along high-skilled EU migrants and increased attractiveness for foreign corporations and new highly skilled migrants. On the other side, the migration waves of the 1960s and 70s brought many Moroccan and Italian guest workers, few of whom were able to climb the social ladder due to the economic crisis of the mid-70s and 80s. Later on, these immigrants were joined by family members and a more diverse group of new immigrants. They have often ended up in informal or low-paid economic circuits, such as building, cleaning, transport and catering sectors. Especially, the high-skilled native and foreign populations have settled in peripheral municipalities, while lower-income groups have found housing in the more central, post-industrial neighborhoods of Brussels along the canal, an area known as the Poor Crescent. For decades, this area has been dealing with severe problems of housing quality that range from moisture problems to a lack of heating systems and to phenomena such as overcrowding and subletting. In more recent years, problems of affordability have also emerged. Inadequate policy responses. Public policy has historically given an inadequate answer to these dichotomies. From its very inception, Belgian housing policy has been marked by an anti-urban attitude, represented by a persistent priority for stimulating home ownership outside of the cities. Spatial planning policies, meanwhile, have been nearly absent. Belgian housing policy has had its greatest impact on the residential movements of upwardly mobile families, supporting home ownership outside of cities through fiscal grants and cheap railway tickets. From the 1950s onwards, families in search of a green, less dense environment were helped to buy houses in the peripheries outside the Brussels capital region. This focus on home ownership didn't change fundamentally after the regionalization of the nation's housing policy. Today, half of the region's housing budget goes to supporting home ownership, a policy intended to keep middle-class households within the Brussels capital region and simultaneously to increase tax revenues. This public support for home ownership takes the form of tax deductions, soft mortgages and direct rents for the development of housing serving homeowners with modest incomes. Such development has often been concentrated in the poor crescent in order to increase the area's social mix and to create a domino effect of attracting further private investment. Despite taking such a large share of the housing policy budget, the home ownership rate has declined during the last decades, due primarily to a steep rise in housing prices. Furthermore, among the beneficiaries of this home ownership policy, middle-income households are overrepresented. These households enjoy the benefits of this extra encouragement, but are not necessarily in need of additional funding to become homeowners. The persistent focus on conventional market price home ownership has impeded the growth of community-based housing and creation of a decent social rental market. Today, the amount of social housing is stuck at 7.5%, even though half of the BCR's population qualifies for social housing. Due to the small amount of social housing, there is excessive demand in the private rental market, which allows landlords to impose strict requirements for the selection of tenants. Not surprisingly, these requirements are characterized by discrimination and racism especially targeting prospective tenants with a social assistance benefit or a disability benefit, and those having a particular ethnic background. 
The PCR launched several programs to build additional social housing, but very few homes have been constructed and the impact on the housing crisis has been close to zero. Urban policies and programs aimed at the redevelopment of inner-city neighbourhoods have been inadequate at best and harmful at worst with regard to affordable housing. For decades after putting into effect the 1953 slum clearance law and high-rise replacement of the 1960s and 70s, no decent urban renewal program was developed to address the deterioration of underprivileged areas. Deindustrialization in the Belgian economy left these neighborhoods with a deteriorating housing stock, poor quality public spaces and an impoverished, transient and aging population. Not until 1993, with the introduction of neighborhood contracts by the Brussels government, did public policy begin to tackle these problems. These contracts enhanced local regeneration through investment in public spaces and services, programs to promote social economic integration, renovations of buildings and the construction of housing on residual parcels. Two additional policies for territorial development, the Regional Zoning Plan and the International Development Plan, focused on the revitalization of the area and the development of housing along the canal. The urban policies of the past 25 years have been widely praised for taking a more integrated and inclusionary approach to neighborhood development and for explicitly addressing the social spatial fragmentation of Brussels. But there has also been a darker, less praiseworthy side to these policies. Reservation of large lands for redevelopment by private investors and a repeated mantra in government policies and plans of needing a better social mix in inner city neighborhoods have had an implicit aim, attracting higher income groups to these areas. As public and private investment increases, however, land values and housing prices rise, making it harder for low-income groups to gain access to affordable housing. In sum, the benefits of economic growth in the Brussels capital region have been inequitably shared across geographic areas and across social classes. Patterns of gentrification have been supported by housing and urban policy, promoting the revitalization of inner city neighborhoods. These economic and social realities, combined with a housing system fraught with problems of deterioration, discrimination, unaffordability, and the meager production of social housing, eventually pushed concerned activists and community organizations into the housing domain, seeking alternatives to forms of housing provided by either the state or the market. Part two. Creation of the Brussels Community Land Trust In 2007, the Ministry of Housing Crisis, a grassroots initiative launched by squatters, homeless people, community organizations and housing activists, occupied the M2 empty Jesus Monastery in Saint-Jos to call attention to the housing problem. In addition to initiatives asking the government to take responsibility for the housing crisis, there were also experiments with new solutions. For instance, the community centre, Bonne Vie, initiated L'Espoir in the municipality of Molenbeek with the support of CIRE, an association that mainly works with refugees and newcomers. CIRE had previously developed solidarity saving groups where low-income families collectively save money to finance the purchase of indiv individual homes. The L'Espoir housing project produced 14 affordable, energy-efficient, owner-occupied homes. The low-income families who purchased these homes were closely involved in the project's development right from the start. Through design workshops, they influenced the building plans. They started a savings group to prepare for the purchase of the homes, and they became an important partner in discussions during the building process, alongside Fonds du Logement, the developer, the architect and the municipality. The L'Espoir housing project successfully linked a dimension of collective endeavor and solidarity to individual home ownership. However, 
The sponsors realized that the classic home ownership formula used in this project did not provide a structural solution for the housing crisis. The project required substantial subsidies from governments to make it work, which would be lost whenever the homes were subsequently resold. Nor were there any guarantees against future speculation. The project sponsors started looking for an alternative strategy that would make the homes permanently affordable and would structurally integrate residents' participation into the design and operation of the housing. In the United States, they discovered the CLT model, which was largely unknown on the European mainland until then. In September 2009, the British Building and Social Housing Foundation, named World Habitat Today, invited four community developers from Brussels to take part in an international study visit to the Champlain Housing Trust in Burlington, Vermont. After a week, the group returned to Brussels, convinced that the CLT model was what they were looking for. During a conference on cooperative housing in Brussels, they publicly launched the plan to start campaigning for the creation of a CLT in Brussels, which was received with great interest. This eventually led to a charter for the establishment of the Community Land Trust Brussels. The charter was signed on May 25, 2010 by 15 associations. During three public meetings, the concept was explained and discussed with the participants, families in need of housing, community organizers, housing rights activists, and academics interested in the model. Hundreds of people participated in these events while a small core group met regularly to set out a strategy and to seek further support for the plan. Out of this dynamic, the platform Community Land Trust Brussels, the precursor of the Brussels CLT, eventually grew. The platform, a group of supportive organizations, set itself the aim of promoting the CLT model in Brussels. The organization's leaders wrote a few articles about their ideas, talked to the press, and arranged a series of trainings, lectures, film performances and public assemblies to explain the model. They started to develop scenarios for the establishment of a CLT in Brussels and to search for subsidies to make this happen. In 2011, the Green Minister for Housing of the Brussels Capital Region commissioned a feasibility study. The recommendations of the study were put into practice in 2012 and led to the establishment of the actual Community Land Trust. In Brussels, the CLT is composed of two bodies, a non-profit association and a foundation. Both were officially founded in 2012. The region granted a subsidy covering the costs of development for CLTB's first housing project. Financial support from the Brussels capital region enabled CLTB to start constructing dwellings that could be made affordable for the lowest income groups soon after its formation. Monies from the government also financed the creation of a team of four people who started working for the CLTB in September 2012. In 2013, community land trusts were included in the Brussels Housing Code. The code mentions CLTs alongside existing tools such as social rental housing, and social mortgages. It defined what CLTs are and stated that the government could define in an implementing law the rules according to which CLTs could get recognized by the region. To date, this law hasn't been drafted, but the fact that CLTs were quoted in the code had an important symbolical function. In 2014, the government secured the financing of CLT operations by including CLTB as a participant in the Housing Alliance. This investment program for new affordable housing in the Brussels region ensured that 2 million euros could be invested each year between 2014 and 2018 for the development of new CLT projects. CLTB could use this money for the acquisition of land and for covering a part of the construction costs. Early projects. Together with local partner associations, CLTB has created a development pipeline of 12 projects to date. 
Most of them are located in neighborhoods of the Poor Crescent, adding to an in-situ regeneration of these areas. These projects include a total of more than 180 dwellings and six spaces for community infrastructure. Almost all of the projects are multi-family homes. The first CLTB project, L'Ecluse, Nine Homes, has been inhabited since 2015. Five new projects are in construction. Five others are being prepared. The Arc-en-Ciel project in Molenbeek, the largest project until now, is one of CLTB's flagships. The vacant land that used to include a house and workshop was bought in 2013. However, due to several delays within the construction process, notably for obtaining the building permit, it took more than six years to build L'Arc-en-Ciel, Together with the Housing Fund, a social housing agency, and several partner associations, CLTB developed 32 dwellings, a community garden, and a women's community centre on this land. Since the very beginning, the future residents have been intensively involved in the project's development, participating in architecture workshops, assemblies, and general meetings. Construction was completed at the end of 2019, and the homeowners began moving into their new homes. A kilometer away, in the municipality of Anderlecht, an old parish centre is being transformed into seven owner-occupied homes, a community garden and a building for a neighbourhood association. This project was also launched in 2013. The group of future residents was composed that same year. They called their project Lenny, which means the nest. Like Arc-en-Ciel, construction was completed in the summer of 2019. The Leeds project, which includes four senior dwellings above a service centre in Schaarbeek, focuses on intergenerational living. The most emblematic project in preparation is called Calico. This project, constructed by a private developer, is funded by the European Union through an Urban Innovative Actions Grant. To obtain this funding, CLTB partnered with two co-housing groups. One of them focuses on women and gender issues, while the other claims to develop a home for birth and end of life, where women can give birth and the elderly can spend their last days in a warm, home-like environment. The project consists of 34 dwellings, the home for birth and end of life, and a community centre. It focuses on solidarity and community care and is scheduled for completion in 2021. Finally, one single-family home deserves special mention. In a city as dense and expensive as Brussels, CLTB didn't consider single-family dwellings a possibility. It took two devoted families to convince CLTB of the contrary. An elderly couple who lived near the Lecluse CLT project was looking for a smaller, single-story dwelling that might better fit their age and family size. Their house with a garden had become too big for them to handle after their children left home. They met one of the families living in Lecluse who was looking for a bigger home after their family had expanded. The families decided to swap homes. Doing so, the first family offered the land under the house to CLTB in order to make it affordable for the family from Lecluse and to preserve its affordability for generations to come. CLTB hopes this example can inspire others, thus creating affordable homes without any subsidies. Part 3 creativity and reflexivity. In the beginning, the idea to develop a CLT in the Brussels capital region was met with a lot of skepticism from housing experts and politicians. It was said that such a North American model could not be applied in Europe. The legal systems were too different, the gap between common law and civil law too great. Other criticisms were aimed at the residents of CLT housing. The community-led process inherent to the CLT model was said to be intertwined with an Anglo-Saxon tradition that was foreign to Belgium. 
the low-income groups inhabiting CLT projects would not properly take care of their homes, leading to a decrease in property values. The collectively-led model would need too much public funding. Although the Brussels CLT was established relatively quickly, the initiators had to face all of these criticisms and challenges. They were forced to apply a strong dose of creativity and reflexivity throughout their praxis in developing strategies to cope with them, beginning with the problem of legally separating ownership of the dwellings from ownership of the land. A bundle of property rights. Similar to CLTs in other countries, CLTB includes resale conditions in its land lease contracts in order to keep its homes permanently affordable. This is a renewable 50-year right in which CLTB gives the residents permission to own a dwelling on land that is not theirs. An owner may resell his or her property whenever he or she wants, but the resale price is limited and the CLTB will indicate to whom the property must be sold. In this way, the dwellings remain affordable without the government having to invest a second time. Owners are also not allowed to rent out their dwellings, except under certain conditions and for a social rent specified in the land lease. Otherwise, CLTB homeowners have the same rights and obligations as any other homeowner. CLTB largely modelled its own land lease contracts, resale formulas, bylaws and regulations on those of CLTs in the United States. Integrating the North American Community Land Trust model into the Belgian legal system was not a simple matter, however. Especially challenging was to find a legal solution to separating the ownership of lands and dwellings. But this proved to be easier for CLT organizers to accomplish in Belgium than for CLT organizers in the United Kingdom, another common law country. Belgian law includes two rights that enable the separation of land from the buildings on it. The surface right, droit de superficie, and the long-term lease, bay amphithéotique. The biggest difference between these two rights is the maximum duration. 50 years for the first and 99 years for the second. Neither can be automatically renewed and extended beyond the maximum period, presenting a potential obstacle to CLT's commitment to preserve the permanent affordability of land and housing. That is one of the reasons these rights haven't been commonly used for housing. There is a significant exception though. In the early 1970s, a new university town was built in Belgium, inspired by contemporary innovations in urban planning. The city of Louvain-la-Neuve was constructed entirely on a concrete slab, separating underground car traffic and parking from overground pedestrian traffic. The land on which the university town is built is owned by the university which leases out parcels under the principle of Bayer Amphitheotique, a long-term lease. The houses on these leaseholds are mainly owned by residents or private landlords. The leasehold contracts contain a clause that ensures that each time a house changes hands, a new duration of 99 years begins to run. By restarting the clock, for each new homeowner, a leasehold comes very close to being permanent. In Louvain-la-Neuve, however, no anti-speculative conditions were attached to land leases. The university remains the owner of the land, but it does not have the right to restrict price increases on resale of the dwellings. It is doubtful the university wanted to do so, but it is also true that it is difficult to regulate resale prices under Bay Amphitheotique, due to the strong protection of property rights within Belgian law. Even if a buyer and seller were to agree to accept a number of contractual resale conditions, there would always be the risk of a court overturning them, 
deciding such restrictions to be in conflict with property rights. It is easier to impose restrictions on the resale price, as well as other conditions concerning the use of the home through the shorter 50-year duration of the droit de superficie. Therefore, CLTB finally opted for the droit de superficie, the surface right, combining clauses similar to those used in Louvain-la-Neuve, with clauses such as restricting the resale price, thereby creating a lease that is close to everlasting. This leads to fairly complex contracts, since almost all CLTB dwellings are part of condominiums, even more conditions and variations get added to the ground lease, depending on the building developer and on whether the building is renovated or newly constructed. Undoubtedly, the government could play an important role in the future by facilitating the development of specific legislation oriented towards this variety of property regimes, specifying conditions on the use of the dwelling, the condominium and the land on which the project is built. Such legislation could simplify the contracts and enhance the legal enforceability of the conditions. Supporting and strengthening the CLT community. CLTB is composed of two closely affiliated legal entities, a non-profit association responsible for the day-to-day -day operations and a public utility foundation that owns the land. They are connected to each other through their bylaws. Both are run by a board of directors whose members include three groups of stakeholders. Residents living in dwellings on CLTB land or waiting for a CLT home. Representatives of civil society, including members of partner organizations and neighbors of CLT homes. And representatives of the Brussels government. Each stakeholder group gets one-third of the seats. In contrast to the practice of most CLTs in the United States, once people are interested in buying a house from the CLT, they must become a member of CLTB. As a member of the association, they are automatically registered on a waiting list and are entitled to vote in electing their representatives to the managing board. Each year, some hundred members gather in the General Assembly to elect their representatives. These meetings are always one of the highlights of CLTB's community life. In order to purchase a property from CLTB, households must meet the same income qualifications as required for renting and social housing. While this is a maximum income limit, CLTB is also committed to serving people whose income is even lower. To make this possible, it sets different selling prices depending on the income of the buyers. To this end, the target group is divided into four different income categories. Depending on the income category in which a home buyer falls, he or she will pay a higher or lower price for the same type of dwelling. Homes for each of these four categories will be realized in each new project. Members on top of the waiting list get priority, according to their income category and their family size. When launching a new housing project, future residents are selected from the waiting list and brought together in a project group. These future residents are involved in the design and preparation of the housing project and will be in charge of its management once the dwellings are built and occupied. It is stating the obvious that the participation of such a mixed community in the collective management of both CLTB and its projects, a community that includes professionals from ministerial cabinets, social workers and low-income groups, can be complicated. But CLTB is convinced such a mix of interests and perspectives is essential. Through the participation of public officials and civil society, CLTB tries to ensure a long-term integration of public concerns and common interests, such as the integration of the dwelling within the neighborhood, the importance of affordable housing for low-income groups 
and the necessity of developing a certain amount of dwellings. Similarly, the active participation of future residents, even when many of them are low-skilled and some have only a basic level of French, is deemed by CLTB to be indispensable, since all decisions that are made will concern their future well-being. Once installed in their homes, they become responsible for keeping the condominium going. As condominium owners, they will have to ensure that the common charges are paid, that costs are correctly distributed, that necessary repairs are made, that a reserve fund is created, and so on. Training and guidance are key, therefore, to preparing and supporting residents in the management of their own housing. The preparation period, which can sometimes take more than five years, is used to train residents about their legal rights and obligations, the architecture, use and maintenance of their dwelling, and the management of a multi-unit project. To do this, CLTB collaborates with local partner organizations who organize training sessions and individually supervise the members of the group. This leads to the establishment of important agreements and initiatives. Future residents draw up a set of rules and divide the dwellings in joint consultation. They write a charter on how they want to live together and they take the initiative in introducing the project to people who already live in the neighborhood. In Molenbeek, for instance, every month the Arc-en-Ciel group organizes the Bazaar Festival on the pavement in front of the construction site of their housing project. The Bazaar Festival is a festive flea market for the neighborhood. Members of the project groups have indicated how all of this helps them to acquire new skills, to cultivate self-confidence and to strengthen the cohesion in the group. Another strategy to strengthen the future residents and to help them in taking up their role in these different levels of management is to actively bring together the somewhat artificial CLTB community. This community is made up of approximately 200 sympathizers and nearly 400 families who would like someday to obtain a home through CLTB. They live in different places in the Brussels region and usually do not know each other when they sign on as a member. They meet each other at best, only at the annual general meeting. CLTB has now started a membership program that wants to overcome this separation and unfamiliarity among this large constituency. The program aims to strengthen both the connections among individual members and solidarity across the entire community by developing collective projects outside of the housing domain. Thanks to this program, CLTB's members have set up a group that organizes cycling lessons, they have organized the temporary use of buildings that are awaiting demolition or renovation, and they have participated in fundraising activities for CLTB. Institutionalization without bureaucratization? CLTB has grown from an informal citizens' initiative into a professional organization in just a few years. The number of dwellings produced is still limited, mainly due to the long duration of the development of real estate projects in Brussels. The plan from now on is to deliver 20 to 30 new homes annually. But CLTB has the ambition to increase production even further with the goal of having a thousand dwellings on its land by 2030. Whether this is possible will largely depend on political support and the willingness of governmental bodies to continue making funds and lands available. The growth of the organization's portfolio and CLTB's strong dependence on governmental resources for such growth pose a number of challenges. First, as a consequence of this dependence, CLTB is obliged to follow strict policies and procedures required by governmental entities for certain aspects of CLTB's daily operation. Aspirations and value systems of CLTB and public institutions are not always similar, and strict governmental frameworks have an impact on CLTB's autonomy. For instance, when using public subsidies, 
CLTB is obliged to adopt public tendering procedures, complicating the participative nature of the development process. Second, CLTB is particularly vulnerable to political changes. That is, every change in the regional governments can lead to a new positioning of acceptance and support for the community land trust model. Every four years, CLTB has to win the trust of the political party in charge and enter into a new relationship. Strategic battles and power gains between political parties add to the difficulty. In the beginning of 2017, for instance, a regime change within the regional government led to the party in power giving serious consideration to forcing the CLT Brussels to transfer ownership of its lands to other housing providers in Brussels. Fortunately, thanks to the efforts of a strong network of supporters, this proposal, which would have undermined the entire rationale and operation of CLTB, was not adopted. But it demonstrates CLTB's vulnerability to changes in the political wind. Meanwhile, political support for the CLT model is growing. After the regional elections in May 2019, the new government, composed of Social Democrats, Greens and Regionalists, presented its coalition agreement. It stated that all public housing operators should make greater use of long-term lease contracts and that the government should increase its support for the projects developed by Community Land Trust Brussels and recognize CLTB as a regional land alliance accompanied by a management agreement so that CLTB can become a partner in urban renewal programs. Thirdly, the increase in scale and professionalization adds a dose of bureaucratization to CLTB's operation. Even as the organization strives to remain a community-led movement that is guided and governed by its members. Also, as the number of inhabited homes steadily increases, CLTB will have to find ways to help residents to be fully in charge of managing their housing projects while keeping them involved in the wider CLT movement. In order to cope with these challenges, CLTB has entered into several agreements and has developed measures to increase its autonomy. Until recently, for example, CLTB has mainly worked with large publicly sponsored housing organizations, such as the Housing Fund, in managing its construction projects. But CLTB has decided to be in charge of its new construction management in the future. Naturally, this will create a whole new set of financial and organizational issues. CLTB will now have to finance and to staff building operations itself. Within its organization, a building division will have to be organized. Also, the double position of simultaneously being a builder and a community organizer can be challenging, especially when problems occur during the building process. Next, CLTB has recently made efforts to attract private donors and investors to finance its operations. In 2017, for the first time, the organization started a fundraising campaign. This led to a few important gifts by private charity foundations a year later. CLTB wants to expand this practice in the near future by creating a land cooperative. Such a cooperative would enable civil investors to invest their money in the acquisition of community land for affordable housing and spaces for social, cultural and economic activities. Alongside the Public Utility Foundation, which purchases land through grants and donations, CLTB's cooperative would purchase land with its shareholders' investments. Such a cooperative would not only increase CLTB's capacity and autonomy, it would also enable CLTB to diversify its production. For instance, by integrating rental units into its projects and by helping social and cultural projects to gain access to affordable land. Furthermore, CLTB has worked hard to expand and to strengthen the larger CLT movement within Brussels, across Belgium and in neighbouring countries. 
by disseminating the model more widely. CLTB hopes more individuals and organizations will become active defenders of the Community Land Trust. Since the very beginning of CLTB, its initiators have been making the case for CLTs in the rest of Belgium and Europe. Several conferences have been organized in Brussels, where invited guests from the UK and the USA have presented their work. At these gatherings, the foundation for an informal network among European activists, practitioners and academics interested in the CLT model was laid. Later on, CLTB staff and board members have been regularly presenting their work. They helped the CLT in Ghent to take its first steps towards becoming established. After CLTB, a busload of city officials, politicians and legal experts from Lille in France were convinced to adopt the model as well. This precipitated the enactment in France of national legislation enabling the establishment of CLTs. Organisme de Foncier Solidaire, OFS, and led to the creation of the country's first CLT, initiated by the municipal government in Lille. CLTB has also taken the initiative in bringing together urban CLTs from the northwest of Europe by starting Sustainable Housing for Inclusive and Cohesive Cities, SHIC, a project aimed at promoting further dissemination of the CLT model throughout Europe. Part 4. In conclusion. CLTB has succeeded in building a solid operation in a relatively short period of time. Several precipitating or sustaining factors allowed this to happen. The CLTB network, composed of community organizations, neighborhood groups and housing activists, a housing policy traditionally paying great attention to home ownership, providing a favorable regime for developing owner-occupied CLT homes, new public budgets for affordable housing, the lagging construction of social housing, and the regional government's willingness to invest in socially innovative alternatives in the housing market. Another prerequisite for CLTB success was the basic mentality of CLTB's initiators, members and leaders, which has hoovered between lobbying for their core values while implementing them with a level of pragmatism. First, expanding and maintaining a broad network of both associations and public bodies has been essential. The close collaboration with a professional social housing organization, such as the Brussels Housing Fund, and with local community organizations, for example, was very important for developing the first real estate operations and for shaping the CLT community. CLTB's commitment to disseminate the model and to support startup groups elsewhere also contributed to its own success. When CLTs in other cities and countries began referring to Brussels as an example worth emulating. Second, CLTB's initiators have negotiated firmly to ensure the autonomy of the organization and to have residents and civil society represented on the board of directors. Third, the organization has been relying on step-by-step problem-solving. The feasibility study that formed the basis for founding the CLTB more or less described the organization that is starting to take shape today. To get there, Numerous obstacles had to be overcome, while almost all CLT components had to be reinvented and adapted to the Brussels legal and political context. Today, for instance, now that more and more homes are becoming occupied, much thought is being given to how CLTB can help residents to manage their condominiums. Although CLTB has succeeded, in operationalization the CLT model in the Brussels capital region and in developing several successful housing projects. The organization is today facing significant challenges in going to scale. In the years ahead, CLTB will have to diversify its resources, attracting private investors and donors. It will have to strengthen its regional legislative framework to ensure continued regional support. It will have to create the internal capacity and expertise 
to fiscally optimize the construction of new projects, new competences within the organization, such as project development and condominium management support, will have to be developed. CLTB must also be diligent in protecting its autonomy, despite its dependency on governmental funding, while preserving the predominant role of residents and civil society in governing the organization. The staff, board and membership of CLTB will have to be steadfast in continuing to advocate for the central position of community within a community land trust. Beyond dealing with these many issues, CLTB hopes to work with its allies inside and outside of government to structurally embed some key CLT principles into the government's regular housing policy and spatial policy, including non-speculative land use, permanent affordability of publicly subsidized home ownership, and community participation in the development of affordable housing and in the governance of the organizations doing development. Such advocacy does not mean to replace the social housing policy that already exists, but to supplement it, making the general housing policy in Brussels and in Belgium more equitable, inclusive and sustainable. Ultimately, CLTB aims to disseminate the principle that lies at the heart of a community land trust, the principle that elevates the use value of real estate over its exchange value. Ten years ago, a community land trust in Brussels was still a utopian idea, a distant dream of a small number of activists and community workers. Today, Community Land Trust Brussels is firmly established. The organization has removed from the Brussels real estate market the first small pieces of land, coloring in the first pieces of a map where other rules apply. There is still a lot of work to be done before this unique approach to integrating resident participation into the design and operation of permanently affordable housing on land that is community-owned becomes mainstream. But CLTB is ready and eager to accept the challenge. This has been an audio presentation of a published chapter from the book entitled On Common Ground. To order the entire volume of 26 essays, authored by scholars and practitioners from a dozen different countries, or to learn more about the International Community Land Trust movement, please visit the website of the Center for CLT Innovation. We can be found at www.cltweb.org. Thank you for listening.